0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the First Round Rundown Podcast, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. I am your host. That's a singular host today. That's Matt Vozar on the mic. Uh, Hayden is actually visiting some friends in college, so uh, so we're going to give him give him the day off, but, but I'll still be here to provide everything that we need. As you see from the title, there's a lot. Okay, there's a lot that we're going to get to today. Six different sports. We're going to try to kind of break it up a little bit evenly. You know, might talk about some of the bigger news uh, in the bigger sports like football. You know, for a little bit longer than than maybe some of the other ones. But uh, regardless, kind of kind of getting a mixed bag here today, which is again what we aim to provide. That's the, kind of the the theory here on the or the the mission here on the First Down Runnin' podcast is to not just talk about football, not just talk about basketball, not just talk about. Formula One, right? We got all that stuff and more. So uh, that will be definitely represented in this episode today. Uh, and like I said, kind of just run through it all and, and and hit them in the order that they are presented in the title. So that way it's kind of easy for you to, to to figure it out when you're going along. Um, so like I said before, obviously we got some we got some you know football those both NFL and college football. Going to be wrapping up the baseball season. Talk about kind of the you know how that went uh, with the Astros winning the World Series, obviously, and then with the NBA and the NHL having started about a month ago, maybe a little bit more at this point. We never did a, a, a official NHL preview, so we definitely want to talk some hockey today. You know who's who's been good so far, who's going to be good later on. We did a little bit of an NBA preview, uh, but that was kind of just talking about who was. You know, really, who were the contenders, uh, and then who were the teams who were going to basically tank on purpose in order to uh, get Victor Wembanyama, who is the overall number one projected player to go in the draft, and everybody's going to want to get him. A uh, little bit of surprises, though, with the teams that we thought might be tanking on purpose in order to get him are, are actually doing really well. So we're going to talk about that as it, as it uh, pertains to the NBA season and how that's going so far. And then obviously, uh, college basketball started on this past Monday, which. It feels crazy, and I'm going to say this again even when we get to it. It feels crazy that college basketball is already starting again. It feels like just yesterday that Kansas was, was winning the national championship over UNC. Uh, both of those teams are back and and ranked inside the top ten, looking to have a similar end to their seasons as they did last year. But I mean, as a whole, college basketball is just so fun. With you know, with with how many teams there are, and and just you know the kids that are that are really playing for the love of the game. So that is kind of a, a general preview we're gonna be going over here. But uh, let's just get right into it. And and also, by the way, I'm not gonna have all the cool sound effects and the and the transitions and everything that that Hayden puts in there because I haven't figured out. Audacity well enough to be able to do the recording software, make sure all the edits are in there. I don't even have the the the, like little sound drops and stuff downloaded, Uh, so it's going to be very raw, coming off the cuff here. But hey, that's 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 the way that I like to do it. At least feels like we're we're in the same room having a conversation. So uh, let's just go ahead and get right into the NFL. Going to be talking about the Colts today. Uh, The Colts obviously they fired Frank Reich, who was their head coach. After he not only made the decision to bench Matt Ryan and start Sam Ellinger uh, in the first place, but also he fired the offensive coordinator about a week after that decision—the you know the, the the quarterback decision that he made. So and then he gets fired himself, and, and so it was just a, kind of this domino effect of like you know hey maybe this thing's gonna work, hey maybe this thing's gonna work. Well neither of those worked. So now that's that's kind of that's a goodbye to you, Mr. Reich. Uh, so then following this, the Colts hired Jeff Saturday, who. It, is an ESPN personality now. Okay. So he's in the media. He's, you know, on TV all the time, whatever, but he actually played for the Colts for a very long time. I want to say probably about 10 years. And so when the Colts were really, really good with Peyton Manning back in the early two thousands, Jeff Saturday was the center, right? So he was snapping the ball to Peyton Manning for all those years. And, and, kind of became a cornerstone guy of the franchise you know I think his numbers you know going to be retired or something like that so he has a lot of ties to the Colts and and was there and you know obviously right Jim Irsay who's the owner of the Colts who actually made this decision decision to hire Jeff Saturday Jim Irsay was the owner way back then too and, and you know kind of from, the, from that time, Jim Irsay was like, well, you know, right, Jeff Saturday was, was a cornerstone of the franchise. He was just one of those guys that you always know that you can count on and, and was one of the best players for so long in that organization, bring him back to be the head coach. Sure, you know, on, on, on the surface that seems like a great idea, but but you got to remember, like, you know, being a player and being a really good player and, and, you know, being a part of those, that run with Peyton Manning, winning Super Bowl over the Saints, all of that's good – but that's like the accomplishments that you made as a player. That has nothing to do with his merits as a coach. And in fact, he actually has never been a coach before. He's—I think—he's coached a few games in high school, uh, and that's it. And so, going from that to then, obviously, you know, well, he was a player, and then I think he coached for—he coached in high school for a little bit right after he had retired as a player. But then, pretty soon after that, he got on TV, right? And he became the kind of the you know ESPN personality, and he's you know doing all the talk shows and everything. And and so he's kind of come back into the limelight. But that's, I think, the problem that a lot of people have with this decision is, like, would he be even in the mix to become the head coach if he wasn't all over ESPN and, you know, and talking about football and still – obviously he's, you know, close to the game to some respect. But I feel like, to some extent, what people are saying about this is – and pretty much everybody disagrees with this decision just right off the bat, right? I mean, obviously you've probably heard the, the outlash um, as it pertains to how – this decision went down. It doesn't seem like Jim Ursay thought about it very much. He just was kind of like, "We got to make a uh, you know an emergency move," and and Jeff Saturday's the guy, right? And 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 again, like I said, he's a good player. He's a very he's a very smart guy. He knows the game. Obviously, I mean, he was he played center, so that's and that's a very I mean, that's that's basically you know second quarterback, uh, you know, in in terms of like knowing how the offense works, where the Paul's going to go on the, on the offense. So he, and he knows the game now because he breaks it down on film and, and the ESPN and everything like that. But right. That's a lot different than being a head coach of an, of a professional football team, because I mean, there's only 32 of them, right? And only very few of those are are even, you know, find success with this. So the question here becomes, what does this say about the Colts' current situation after years of trying to tread water with a solid core but no quarterback since Andrew Luck retired? And that's the other piece that I wanted to get to here was we got to stop with the – well, what if the Colts still had Andrew Luck, right? Because as we know, Andrew Luck was the first overall pick and out of Stanford, I guess almost 10 years ago now, uh, we, You know, was supposed to be the second coming of basically of Peyton Manning, right? When when that kind of same deal had, they pick Peyton Manning, you know, was at Tennessee when the national championship, they get Peyton Manning. He wasn't that great in his first couple of years. Then he, you know, he picks it up and they win a Super Bowl and everything's great. Well, Andrew Luck was almost on that exact same path, right? First overall pick in the draft. They basically tanked to get him. They got him. He was okay in his first year. And then basically for the next three or four years, years after that he was a star and he took a Colts team this was kind of the definition of you know a quarterback or or someone who well I mean someone who was able to change the you know change the team or or elevate the the guys around him his teammates around him that happens a lot in sports but you don't see that a lot in football and really the only position that can do it in football is the quarterback but Andrew Luck was able to do that he's one of the very few guys who could you know really really you know had the 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 skills and the abilities to do that in a situation like this and so then well and so what happened was obviously the Colts pretty much every year they were a playoff team they got to the AFC championship against the Patriots and that was the whole deflate gate thing when you know the the, the Colts were winning in the game and then obviously they they find out that Tom Brady deflated the balls and whatever I think the Patriots ended up winning that game by like 21 points so it doesn't wouldn't have really matter in the end of it but the point is that you know basically that was kind of the plan was you have, you know, get your franchise quarterback, Andrew Luck. He's he's taking your team to the playoffs when really they're not even a playoff team to begin with, right? Now we have the quarterback. Okay, so we got the franchise quarterback. We can lock him in for however long. We just need to build a solid core around him. So they start drafting offensive linemen, okay? And and that really works out because we saw now or we see last year and, and you know, somewhat this year that the running game is really good. Well, the running game is really good because the offensive line is great. So they had a good offensive line, right? Then they get they start getting the defense together. You got, you know, Darius the Who now goes by Shaq Leonard? Um, You know he he was an amazing middle linebacker. He still is, right? And he and he's you know and so they had the core of the team and they were putting this together as Andrew luck was then deciding basically to retire. And that came so suddenly out of the blue, everyone was shocked by it, you know, especially the Colts who, who had basically, you know, had nailed the hardest position in sports to nail, which is quarterback and then built an amazing team around him. And, and that like, they were in the process of building up the team and then Andrew luck retires. Well, now you have a really good solid, you know, solid core, a foundation of a team, good offensive line, good defense, obviously drafting jonathan jonathan taylor was an amazing decision as well so now you got a good running back all you need is a quarterback, right? And so now you're at the opposite place, where before Andrew Luck came in, he was the only guy who was competent on that football team, but he was bringing him to the playoffs every year. Well, now you have a playoff team, but you don't have the quarterback. And so they signed Phillip Rivers. And and that went OK. They got to the playoffs when they had Phillip Rivers for that one year. And then Philip Rivers retires, right? And then last year, you bring in Carson Wentz, who is kind of on the decline of his career, I would say. And he just didn't really work well there. And they didn't even make the playoffs last year. And so you get Carson Wentz out of there. OK, well, then this year, you bring in Matt Ryan, who's another guy who's a veteran who declined his career and clearly we saw at the beginning of the season well basically until he got benched he, he just he just doesn't have it anymore right and so he gets benched and now you bring in Sam Ellinger who's a you know second ra- second second year quarterback but was drafted in like the sixth round and you know he, he was good when he was at Texas he was like a four or five year starter but not someone who's going to just be automatically elevating this team to the playoffs he barely even played in the NFL before so that's where you're at now right Is a situation where you're you don't have the quarterback, but you have a solid foundation. The problem is the solid foundation is not going to get you to the playoffs on its own. If you have a you know a, a good quarterback who is a serviceable you know veteran or or whatever it may be, like a Philip Rivers type of guy, that's what can get you to the playoffs. But not some guy who's a second round or a second year player you know drafted in the sixth round who's never played a game in his life before this is the thing too where we now we kind of get into okay well what are other options to the quarterback or to the Colts have at quarterback guess who is technically the backup was I was thought would be the backup or basically replacing Matt Ryan once he you know once he got benched it's a guy named Nick Foles who for those of you who don't know basically when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017 Carson Wentz played I think 13 games or the first 13 games of the regular season he was the favorite to win the MVP it was a going a amazingly for him and he tears his ACL in, and then he's out for the rest of the season. Well, they bring in Nick Foles who had some success early on in his career but then kind of, you know, was bouncing around to a bunch of different teams and didn't really have a home and then he, you know, he basically just replaces Carson Wentz and and yeah, that Eagles team had a good so, fo- solid foundation, but Nick Foles was literally the reason that they won the Super Bowl. I mean, this guy took them for the rest of the season. He took them through the playoffs and beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady and Bill J. Belichick in the Super Bowl in 2017 and that's Nick Foles. I mean, I think they, I think Philadelphia like wanted to build a statue of this guy outside their stadium because that was the first Super Bowl they ever won. Right. So why are we not playing Nick Foles people? You know, like if, if, if we want to, you know, if, if they're trying to tank, if they're trying to do all this crazy stuff, okay, fine. You know, play Sam Ellinger, but like you have a good enough team around you, your, your running back is the, is arguably the best in the league, your defense is still good, you can have a chance to make the playoffs, why don't you start a guy who's been, not only been to the playoffs before, but won all the playoffs games and won a Super Bowl, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, Nick Foles, maybe he doesn't have it anymore, but like, at least to give the guy a shot, right, because the guy that you're giving a shot to now, Sam Ellinger, like, is not ready to play, and, and so for him to like, you know, sit there and learn learn behind some guys, that would at least prepare him, I think, better than just, you know, getting into a game and, and being barely, you know able to. Throw Throw the ball. So, this whole coach situation is very weird. It's going to be very interesting to see what Jeff Saturday does now that he is the head coach because he doesn't really know how to be a coach, you know. So hopefully he'll be able to kind of figure it out as he goes along. But we've seen in the past couple games too that the Colts just don't really have it anymore. I mean, Jonathan Taylor himself is is injured, and and the defense looks like they're just kind of giving up points. And I I, like their last game against the Patriots. I think they lost. What what did they lose? Like twenty six to three or something like that. They were, I think, over 13 on third down conversions. Their longest drive was their scoring drive, which was like 30-something yards. It's like it's just this this team is is going nowhere. So maybe Jeff Saturday is able to provide some sort of spark, but he doesn't really have any options because they also just fired everybody who had a say in this organization prior to when he got there, right? He has no offensive offensive coordinator. His, you know, Matt Ryan's on the bench and, and not even playing anymore. And so it's kind of like, how are you going to learn how to coach in an environment where all your other, you know, coaches that would have helped you kind of, you know, do this job. They are also gone and out the door right now. Right. And then you're stuck within a position where where you don't have a quarterback and you, your running backs hurt. And it's, I don't think it's going to be well for, for, for the rest of the season for the Colts here. Uh, I think they personally, I think they should have gone with Gus Bradley, who was their defensive coordinator, who has a lot of NFL coaching experience. He's a defensive coordinator for them right now, elevate him to the head coach. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to, you know, be signed to a, a major contract to be the head coach for the next 10 years. He can just serve as the interim head coach, because he's already been the defensive coordinator there for for a few years, and he, I think he I think he was defensive coordinator for the Ravens like back when they were really good, so he has a lot of coaching experience. I I don't really understand this move from the Colts, and really nobody else does either. So we'll see how it goes. I just don't really have much faith that it'll go you know very well, especially coming up in the near future when like you kind of have to finish out a season, and and I really don't know what the results are of that are going to be. All right, so let's move into college football now. You see the title, in, the, or you see the topic in the title. We're going to be talking about Alabama a little bit more. I just need to, we need to get some closure on the Alabama situation, okay? So we talked about this a little bit on, you know, this past, the last episode on, on, uh, on Tuesday night, Monday, or, you know, Wednesday morning, whenever you listen to it. But since then, I've heard way too much about this being the end of Bama's run, and Nick Saban's going to be quitting after the season because he can't do it in the SEC anymore. He's not good enough. Okay, some of this is crazy talk. All right, but some of this is is, is warranted, and and there's coming kind, of kind of some spots, but we've got to find a sweet spot in there. So the question becomes: Why does Bama losing games this season feel different this time? Why you know they've lost two games in the regular season before, but why are we talking about this now in the middle of the, you know now when it's such a big deal and and this year and everything like that? So kind of what's the reason behind this, and then what really is the next step in this process for Alabama? Let's start by saying, and I'm going to reiterate exactly what I said on Monday's show or the, the so earlier this week, Alabama is a really, really good football team, all right? They had a couple close calls during the regular season, so they played at Texas in a game they won 20-19 to 19 on a last-second field goal. They also played at Texas A&M, in which I think they... I think Texas A&M was, was they, they they almost scored a touchdown at the very end of the game and then they didn't and Alabama ended up winning that game and so that was kind of two close calls they had against teams who were obviously worse than them right and then they now they have and then and then they have two losses all right so the other two close games that they played they lost both of them okay but we got to put this in, in, into into perspective here guys they lost at Tennessee. Okay, by three on a last second field goal that Tennessee hit to win that game. And again, it was in Knoxville. They took down the goalposts. We saw that all happen, all right, because they beat Bama. So fine. But we got to remember Tennessee's number five in the country, okay? Like they are, they basically are. On the verge of getting into the college football playoff, that's a really good football team, okay. And now Alabama, obviously, this past weekend, they lost to LSU in a you know in a thriller. Obviously, it was an overtime. Alabama scores, then LSU scores, and they go for team that they go for two, and they win the game by one point in overtime. Okay, so taking that into consideration, Alabama's two losses this year are by a combined four points, both on the last play of the ent- of the game themselves. All right. Losing to the number five team in the country and the number seven team in the country. Number five, Tennessee, number seven, LSU. So, like, I get it, okay, right? The argument against this is that Alabama should not be losing these games or they should not be losing or they should not be winning these other games like Texas and Texas A&M. They shouldn't only be winning those by one or three points, right? They should be blowing these teams out. They should they should look more dominant than they are. They just don't look as dominant as they have been. And I can agree to that point, all right? But I... I, I, I you can kind of miss me with the whole, you know, end of the dynasty, you know, Nick Saban should retire just because they lost two games in the regular season, and they lost those two games to the two other best teams in the SEC outside of Georgia, all right? So, like, that's that's kind of the, the, the competition level and the perspective that we're talking about here where we can't just say that Alabama is is, is over with and, and Nick Saban's going to retire. First of all, they, they signed a Nick, Nick Saban to, like a, I think, a 10-year contract this past offseason, so Nick Saban's not going anywhere. All right. Now he is getting older, obviously, but like th- that doesn't take away from the fact that Alabama is just going to not be Alabama anymore just because Nick Saban is, you know, I think he's like turning 70 this year or whatever. Right. But here's the difference. Okay. And here's kind of where things get a little bit murky. And those, those, you know, those claims about Alabama might be done or might be just not as dominant in the dis- in the near future as they have been in past years The argument lies with how the college football landscape is changing as a whole and the big kind of you know deal the big topic behind this is nil name image and likeness where schools are able to pay athletes for well schools and companies and organizations are able to pay athletes to use their name image and likeness in advertisements in you know business contracts business deals whatever it may be and so, what's happening a lot of the time is basically the colleges are, or the, well, yeah, the colleges have a booster system where it's basically just people who are insanely rich who went to the college who want to give money to the football program in order for that football program to succeed. They basically joined together and they formed what's called a collective. And that collective is basically now in in the new form of, okay, well, you can pay the players with NIL. You can't pay the players directly just to come to the school. Okay, come on, people. I mean, it's football. It's the most popular sport in America. And in the South, especially with the SEC schools, that's the only thing that matters. And so you're going to pay the kids Around the bushes and kind of you know in some sneaky ways directly to in order to come to the school, and I think that is where we get into the situation of Alabama might not be able to keep up with the n i l deals that these other schools are reporting right now okay texas a and m is a great example. they got the number one recruiting class this past year ever the like the highest rated you know across the average all the players they got the highest recruiting class in the history of the sport, all right. And a lot of people say it's because there's a lot of heavy donors that, you know, basically, you know, alumni from Texas A&M who are giving a bunch of money back to the school, quote unquote, back to the school more. So like they're just giving, you know, paying high school athletes directly in order to come to Texas A&M, Tennessee is actually in this kind of the same boat. They got a a quarterback. His first name is Nico. um, But anyway, he's like a five-star quarterback, one of the best in the nation coming out. And and he reportedly got like $9 million just to come to Tennessee to play quarterback. Right. So that's the type of situation where Alabama might be able to, or might, be, you know, at, at risk of falling behind some of the other schools in its respective conference, especially because they don't really have the nil impact they don't have the collectives the guys who you know who are graduated obviously who are giving money to school and the reason for that is because alabama has been so dominant in the previous college football landscape where you weren't paying all these players to go to school they've been so dominant that it didn't really matter right you didn't need a lot of these guys to be going behind people's backs and paying these players and you know shoving bags of money in different places and oh oh well this high school recruit just found all this money well hey i that might be from lsu right i think they should probably sign there that's like what has been going on in these other schools in order to try to catch up with Alabama, but it wasn't legal enough. So they couldn't really do it, you know, out in the open. They couldn't do it explicitly. Well, now they can. And now that's catching up with Alabama to the point where, you know, they're not able to recruit as dominantly as they were before because the landscape has changed. The rules have changed. And, and now you're seeing some sort of, some sort of parody, at least in the recruiting, uh, you know, side of this. Now, Texas A&M's a is a perfect example because, yes, they had the, the highest or best recruiting class in the history of the sport, you know, this this past recruiting class, and obviously you're not expecting all of those freshmen to be playing immediately, but, you know, they've been recru- – I mean, Jimbo Fisher, who was kind of the, the guy that they brought there to do this, to recruit the best players and, you know, and kind of make this all happen, well, you know, he's been there for five years. This is his fifth year. He you know, he's he's had enough time to get at least his good recruiting classes in the beginning are now kind of, you know, on their on their junior or senior seasons. Texas AM is three and six right now. They are in last place in the SEC West. So you're thinking, Okay, so they have all this NIL deals and they have all this money to be, you know, basically paying the players in order to go to the schools. But look what that's getting them. It's not really much so far, right? And obviously Tennessee looks really good this year, and and I think that's more so, kind of you know, kudos to their offense and their and their scheme instead of just like you know being able to basically buy the players and 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 pay for them to go to the school. But the the reality of this is that kind of the, the well the reality of the situation is that the reality of college football is 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 kind of changing as a whole. And I think that the 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 second part of this that we kind of have to you know that we kind of have to delve into a little bit more is that you know Alabama is known for having the best assistant coaches in the in the world right i mean it- there are so many countless coaches who have been offensive or defensive coordinators at Alabama who have gone on to do amazing things. I'm just going to kind of rattle off a few right here, right? So Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator for Alabama for probably, he was there for a while, probably seven, eight years. Well, guess where Kirby Smart Smart is right now? He's the head coach of Georgia who won the national championship last year, and they look like the best team by far again this year. Okay, so that's Kirby Smart. Who else do we have? Oh, that's right, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator for I think a couple years, uh, maybe even three or four years when he was at Alabama. He won, a, I think, won two national championships with them as their offensive coordinator. Well, then now he goes to Ole Miss, and Ole Miss, when I think 10 and 3 last year, had their best season in, the, in school history. And where are they this year? Oh yeah, they're ranked inside the top 10, and they're 9 and 1. Okay, so there's Ole Miss for you, and there's Lane Kiffin. So he went on to do two pretty good things too. Brian Dayball Interestingly enough, he was the offensive coordinator. Remember that championship when Alabama played Georgia and it went to overtime and you had uh, Jalen Hurts was in there and he wasn't doing that great, so they switch in Tua Tagovailoa and Tua throws the ball to uh, DeFonte Smith in the back of the end zone and he wins it in overtime and everybody goes crazy. Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator at Alabama for that play, for that game. Okay, He then goes on to be an offensive coordinator of the Bills and obviously has a bunch of success with Josh Allen. And then goes on to be the head coach of the Giants who are now looking like a really good team in the NFL. Okay. So those are just some examples of coordinators who Alabama Nick Saban has hired as you know, the Alabama staff who who have really propped up this Alabama program because you got to think about it too. Like a, a, a head, you know, head coach in college has a very different job than head coach in the NFL. The NFL is, is more, it's a business, right? You have to handle it like a business. Your, your, your players are employees and there are professionals at what they do. Whereas in college, they're students, they're kids. These guys are 18, 19 years old. So you not only have to manage all of those you know, personalities and, and also the college teams are like twice as big as NFL teams in terms of the, the, just the sheer amount of players, right? but you also have to dominate the recruiting trail. You have to get more people to come to your school to play football. So you can't really be focused too much on exactly what play you're gonna call when you're playing North Texas and there's three minutes left in the third quarter on November 29th, all right? That's a completely different situation. In that case, you were relying on your coordinators to do the job that they're hired to do this year i don't even know who their defensive defensive coordinator is but i know who their offensive coordinator is it's a guy named bill o'brien who you may remember is actually he well he was the head coach of the texans back when they were basically you know well they're still really bad but they were really bad under him too but alabama he's now the alabama offensive coordinator and he's not as good as the previous guy, who actually is a guy named Steve Sarkisian. Steve Sarkisian is now the head coach of Texas, who's doing really well. And, obviously, their offensive scheme is, is, is you know, looking really great. And they're going to be really good in the next few years here. Bill O'Brien is, is not – the is not the guy, okay, and so I think a part of this whole Alabama, you know, losing in the regular season and stuff, all that situation, is also due to the fact that Alabama just doesn't have the top-level coordinators that it's used to having, and some of that, yes, is on is on uh, you know is on Nick Saban, but at the end of the day, too, guys like <laughs> Nick Saban's doing the best he can. The problem is whenever he hires these guys, they do amazing at Alabama and they just get hired away to better jobs, right? I mean. Brian Dibble went straight to the NFL. Lane Giffen went to you know a rival SEC school and is now you know basically in the record books for how well he's doing there. So there's a lot going on here in terms of the coaches that he has on the staff and kind of everybody else he has to manage. So I think that we've got to temper our expectations for Alabama a little bit. It's gonna be different in the future. He even said, Nick Saban said that before the season started, he he was talking about parody. He said that, you know, right, in the kind of in the in the near future here, like there's gonna be a lot of different teams winning. It's not gonna be the same, you know, as as it has been for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever. And and people were like, what why is he saying that? Like he, he knows there's no parody because he knows that his team is gonna win all the time. But I think now we're starting to look back and say, hey, this might have been what he was talking about, right? The fact that in this new world of of and of NIL and paying players and and you know recruiting is different everything's different nowadays that's kind of where the parity might start to come in where there's other teams that are getting a chance and doing well that you know alabama might begin to struggle but at the end of the day we, we we can't sit here and say that they're done we can't sit here and say that alabama's done and cooked and the dynasty's over and, and nick saban's gonna retire like no they're still gonna be one of the top teams in college football and here's the other thing here's the crazy part about all of this right everybody's saying oh well and then lsu is all automatically gonna make it to the sec championship this year This year, if if LSU loses one of its last few games and Alabama wins out, Alabama's still playing in the SEC Championship and they're gonna play Georgia. And if they beat Georgia, all of this is for naught. Okay. All of the all the arguments you've seen about Alabama not being good anymore and you know Nick Saban's gonna retire. No, like if he win if he, you know, they win out and they go play the SEC championship and they beat Georgia, like good luck it's the same thing its like Alabama's just been this way right and the, and so that is kind of also kind of looming over our heads here I don't know if it'll actually come true because you know they also have to win the kind of the rest of their games too on their schedule but it's 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 very possible so there's your there's your Alabama closure talk at least you know kind of you know hopefully getting that all all squared to go here and we'll go ahead and move on to baseball. So it wouldn't be a Matt Solo episode without talking a little baseball, okay, because the Houston Astros and, and it's warranted because obviously the baseball season's over now. The Houston Astros won the World Series over the Phillies this past weekend. So I'm gonna talk about a little bit a little bit about the Houston Astros manager, a guy named Dusty Baker, along with kind of revisiting my take at the beginning of the playoffs regarding the best teams in the regular season being bounced kind of kinda of right away. So great for the Houston Astros. They were the best, well, second best team in the regular season all, uh, you know, all season long. And their manager is a guy named Dusty Baker who has basically been in baseball forever. I mean, he was a player, I think he won a World Series as a player in like the 80s or something and he's been a manager for the last 30 something almost 40 years. And he's kind of known as like the guy who always gets there but his neighbor never able to finish the deal. I think he's 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 been a manager for I think th- two or three different World Series teams. I know he's with the Cubs early in two thousand two thousand three or something like that. Um, he was with the Giants kind of right before their World Series you know run. I think they won three out of the five World Series from like twenty ten to twenty fifteen or something like that. He was there kind of right before that all happened. He also was the manager of the Reds. The last time the Reds were good was a very long time ago. But he was the manager there right when they were when they were doing really well. And so now. The interesting part about what happened with this situation, Dusty Baker and the Astros, is that obviously in 2019 the Astros won the World Series, but it basically became an asterisk because that was when they were accused of of cheating, basically. And and if you don't, you don't remember, obviously look it up. There's a, there's a ton of stuff around it, but basically the deal was they were able to look at the other team they had a camera looking at the other team's pitcher or the the catcher who was signaling to his pitcher what pitches that the the guy was going to throw and then they were looking at the camera and based on whatever pitch that the catcher was going to throw or sorry the catcher was signaling to the pitcher and the pitcher wanted to throw to the catcher they knew what pitch was coming and they were they were literally banging on trash bags in or trash bags trash cans or something in the dugout as to what pitch it was going to be. And so the guy that was hitting the ball, he was able to hear what was going on in the, in the dugout, basically how many times they hit a trash can. And based on that, he knew what pitch it was, and they were able to win the World Series because of that. It sounds pretty crazy, but that's actually what happened, okay? So, obviously, after that, it's, you know, I mean, anytime a professional sports team cheats and and wins a championship, like, it's never a good look, and everybody hates them for it, okay? So, that's pretty much what happened to the Astros. Now, if you remember, too, that was 2019. What happened in 2020? Well, it was COVID. And so, basically, the entire COVID season, which would have been the season right after the Astros won the championship— there were no fans there, and if there were fans there, everybody would have bashed on the Astros, they would have, you know, booed and, and thrown things and whatever, so the Astros, people are saying, or this is kind of, the you know, the general feel of it, the Astros kind of got off easy on their cheating scandal because nobody, you know, nobody was there in the stands to be able to actually kind of give it to them, right, for for what they deserve for cheating and winning the championship, so what happened was, obviously, right, the manager got fired, there were, you know, a couple other players on that team who, who were kind of the ringleaders of this stuff, they were, they were gone from the team, and they needed someone to come in and just kind of clean up the mess right and so they chose Dusty Baker who's this guy who's just known for getting the most out of his players but like I said not really ever being able to convert and win championships when he has the opportunity well he has sure managed the heck out of them because like I said they finished this season with the second best record in baseball they were you know dominant all year long and there's there's still some players from that from that World Series team back in 2019. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, yes, if you cheat, it, it, you're right, it makes it easier for you to win. And so they won the World Series, but they had a really good roster. Okay, and they might not have been able to win the World Series. Obviously, probably you know cheating helped them in in, in that in that you know accomplishment there. But they had a very solid roster, and so you know I, I would say probably half the guys from that roster are still on the team, and they've probably only gotten better you know in terms of their pitching and everything else. So. They have a good roster, but, it's again, there's still kind of this cloud hanging over them of, like, well, they were the team that cheated in in 2019. So, they right, they fire everyone in the front office and the manager and everything, and Dusty Baker comes in to kind of just clean up the mess. Well, he does an amazing job. He gets the second-best record in the the regular season this past year, and they go into the playoffs, and they're, you know, the number one seed and and kind of, you know, the (laughs) – the second favorites behind the Dodgers to win the world series. Well, the Dodgers get bounced in the first round. So now it's the Astros and they just look dominant against everybody. I think they, I don't even think they gave up a run until like, or or no, they didn't lose a game until the world series, I think, which was kind of the, the crazy part. Or maybe the, Maybe the ALDS, when they won, they, they, I'm trying to think of who they even played. This just, it kind of shows you in real time how much I watch baseball, which isn't too much. But either way, they were just dominant in this playoffs. And so they were kind of obviously the favorites to win the World Series, and they do end up winning the World Series, which is amazing for them because, you know, right, it's it's after the whole cheating scandal happened. And I'm surprised we haven't heard a lot more about this because I was thinking, and I was like, you know, just kind of just being, you know, a sports watcher in general. I kept thinking, you know, man, if the Astros win this championship, like, they're gonna get so much crap because it's just gonna be like, well, you won in 2019, but you but you cheated to, to get there, and so you know you win again in 2022. Well, you know that's 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 not like it's, I just I just felt like it wasn't long enough after the cheating scandal for them to be able to be truly like you know ch- crowned as champions deservedly so and all this stuff. But it seems like they kind of are, which I think is good. It's kind of just you know. We don't. We don't need to be. We don't need to be dealing with with cheating and and you know calling people out. You know, ten years after the fact. So, uh, all to say, it was a great thing to see the Astros win the championship here, and and obviously hats off to them and all that they were able to do. In this, you know, the kind of this season, uh, as well as you know, obviously finishing it off against the Phillies, who were a really good team, kind of just you know they got really hot at the right time, and and you kind of saw once they got to the World Series that they, they were playing at a different level, right? The Astros were dominant all, all along, and then the Phillies kind of just got by, you know, just hitting dingers and Bryce Harper and all those you know, Ryan Hoskins, all those guys were were really playing so well for them but it's just it, their, their hot streak came to an end against the, the Astros who have a really good pitching staff and, and that really kind of won them the World Series so that gets to kind of the, the revisiting of my take early on in the playoffs essentially basically the, the argument that I made and it's a pretty popular argument so I wasn't you know I wasn't kind of uh, doing my old, you know, first take, hot take type of deal here. It's it's a very probably well-known argument. You probably even heard it before. Essentially that, you know, you the baseball se- regular season is 162 games, and then the wild card playoff series is best of five, okay? So you play 162 games to get a seating next to your name, and then based on that seating, you basically, if you just kind of are not playing that well for three games, you're bounced from the playoffs. You don't have a chance to win the World Series, right? And that's kind of where I was like – this is not a good form. Of, like you're not rewarding the best teams for being the best throughout the regular season, and the Dodgers are a perfect example of that. As much as you know, yes, the the Astros were, were you know were the second best team all year, and they ended up winning the World Series. That's great for them, but the Dodgers. I think, won the most games in the regular season since 2001. It was like a 20-year record for how many games they won in the regular season, and they were bounced early in the playoffs. And it's just like, you know, right. Like, wh- okay, then what's the point of even trying to win all these games when, like, if you just go to the playoffs and, and you and you don't really play that well for three games, you're gone, right? And, I mean, three three games out of 162 is, like, point zero two percent like I mean it's nothing compared to all the work they put in for the regular season to just be you know and and it's so baseball is a very variant or a very um yeah variable sport I, I don't I mean I'm kind of kind of messing up the words there but in the sense that you know there's a lot that can go that there's a lot that can happen in the course of a game you know you're, you're you can never you're playing multiple pitchers who knows who's feeling good that night if the hitters just aren't seeing the ball as well you know maybe they won't they'll be messing up or whatever so it, like i said a lot that, that you can kind of you know that, that that can be decided there but but i think the the main point is that this season at least the the best team was the dodgers but you know they lost early but the second best team was the astros and it was you know, led by a guy and Dusty Baker, who's never been able to do it. Well, you know, never been able to do it as a manager. He did it as a player. He's a lifelong baseball guy. He's kind of been there and done that, and he deserved this over really anyone. So I think it, at the end of the day, it became a, a good story. You know, the Astros deserved to win. They were dominant all year in the playoffs, and you know, they 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 did what they needed to do, and they won the World Series. But. I think the – you know, I, I don't think it's going to change in terms of that whole, you know, the, the baseball regular season being as long it is, as, as it is and based on the playoffs. Like, that I think that's also the fun of baseball, though, is to just see a team like the Phillies who – barely even made the playoffs to begin with roll through the NL and just make this make the World Series nobody thought that was gonna happen so I think to some extent it has a little bit of a March madness type feel where you're just kind of like you know what anything can happen and so to a certain extent like you you got to kind of you know be rid of your rigidness <laughs> kind of get away from the thought that oh well you know the, the best teams aren't winning so this is I don't even want to watch the sport well that's just kind of a that's kind of a get off my lawn type of type of type of argument there I think it's better when there is parody it's just kind of you never never really know who's gonna win and if there is a team like the Astros who's kind of just been dominant all year dominates in the playoffs and deserves to win the World Series then they do right but in a situation like you know who who, who knows who's gonna win I think that that probably makes it more fun especially for a sport that does struggle with fans and, and people watching and being engaged in everything um so yeah so so obviously congrats to the Astros congrats to Dusty Baker and here's to another baseball season that's in the books and Nobody really talked about it that much, so uh, yeah, we'll 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 try to give baseball a little bit more shine. Obviously, as we kind of get into next year, uh, so kind of transitioning now, a t- uh, sport that just ended its season, the MLB, with a sport that just began its season, the NBA. Although we're already almost about a quarter of the way through the regular season for the NBA, um, and there's already been a ton of surprising results. So I'll kind of speak a little bit more on the net situation and how they should handle what's going on there. Then I'll hit on the upside-down nature of the standings in the West, which is it's crazy up to this point, and then how this kind of affects the victor webman week takes as I kind of explained earlier in the podcast in the preview portion. And then lastly, I'll kind of you know go over a couple teams in the East who were successful last year but looking pretty bad uh, to start this season. So... Let's talk about the Nets. We talked about a little bit, I think, <clears throat> in our NBA preview, uh, you know, kind of whenever we were talking about that. And realistically, the situation's just gotten a whole lot worse, <laughs> right? I mean, from what we were thinking, it's just, you know, okay, well, you have a, a semi-big three. You got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. Well, now you really only have Kevin Durant, which is how it was all of last season two, right? I mean, that's that's it, it always has been just Kevin Durant, because as we've seen, Kyrie Irving was in the news for all, you know, the, 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 the controversy and everything he was suspended from the team he was you know nike he ended his contract with nike it's 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 all going badly for for Kyrie Irving and then obviously Ben Simmons is a person who um probably the the best basketball player who who just doesn't want to play basketball I've ever seen in my entire life it's it's really insane like just that whole that whole situation like he i, I don't I don't know he has he has skill he has talent and it's just like He I don't know. And this whole mental health thing, like literally might be just this the cornerstone of it all, where he's just so anxious every single time he gets the ball that like his brain just won't let him shoot. And and when he does, he misses it, you know, and that only just kind of causes a more, you know, a a domino effect even further of just being like, I don't want to play this sport. I don't want to play the game, which I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not going to kind of, you know, talk about obviously what's going on in other people's heads. I I don't want to assume anything. It just is, it's just—it's just one of those weird situations where, like, he'll be on the—he'll be on the court. Well, he'll be on the on the bench, right, sitting down in his, you know, <clears throat> in his cool sweaters and long chains and everything. And he'll be like smiling when he's when he's like not playing. And then when he is playing, he just looks like lazy and he's not really running that hard. So it's just this weird, very weird dynamic where he almost looks more happy when he's not playing, even though it's like, do you realize all the critics that are on you right now and talking about you and everything that you know you. We, we kind of got to figure something out here, man, you know, because because there's a lot that, that you know, you're kind of not doing in the situation here. Well, all right. So those are that's Kyrie and that's Ben Simmons. And then what happened? Well, they I think they got off to a start. They were like one and six or something like that. And they were, you know, one of the last teams in the East so they fire Steve Nash and we also talked about Steve Nash last year as it relates to I think the playoffs where everybody was getting you know giving Steve Nash a bunch of crap about oh he doesn't run his switches right and his you know he's not playing the right players at the right time and it's like all these people who don't know basketball are trying to tell Steve Nash how to coach basketball well the reality is these are professionals he was a professional himself he won the MVP two times and now he's a coach of the of the Nets but a coat like that must be the hardest job in the world. I mean, think about this everything that I just said about Kyrie, the guy thinks the earth is flat. Alright? So you have Kyrie on that stance, and then you have Ben Simmons, who I just said explained for a little bit a little while, the the, the most excited player or the best basketball player ever to never want to actually shoot a basketball. How do you deal with that? How do you coach that? That's a situation that is doomed to fail. And I mean we and Haven, well, me and Hayden even said this kind of from the beginning of last season. We were like, this just doesn't look like it's gonna work out, and it and it really hasn't, right? It really hasn't. So right, so you fire Steve Nash, okay, fine. Who do you get to replace him? They were going to get Ime Udoka, who just got fired from the Cel- – or suspended from the Celtics for, like, having a relationship with a, a minor in the organization. Like, all this stuff. It's like, what are you doing? Like, the Nets are just, like, continuously j- just making their lives way harder. They ended up actually going with their interim coach, um, Jacques. Jacques, I don't know his last name. But he was kind of the – everybody was saying, like, all right, he's probably just the safe option. Like, you know, he's not going to mess things up. You, you can gotta go out and, and find another coach and, and trying to kind of – deal with this net situation like overall with the players but that is what the question becomes it becomes what do you do with this situation with these players who are you know part of the organization going out there on the court well not going out there on the court in the case of Kyrie and Ben Simmons this is not a good team it's Kevin Durant and a bunch of guys who aren't that great right yeah Nick Nick Claxton who's playing out of his mind right now but it doesn't really matter because they're still losing games Seth Curry the brother of Steph Curry Seth Curry was injured all last year. He's actually a good player, but you're thinking, okay, well, he's, he's come back from injury. He's going to be really good. Not, not really turning out Joe Harris, another guy, UVA grad, shout out. Who's he got hurt last year and pretty much nagging injury the entire year. They're like, Oh, he's going to be back. He's a three point specialist. He's played like less than half the game so far, you know? So all these players who you think are supposed to be good role players for this team that is, you know, kind of led by their huge stars, well, the stars aren't even playing and the guys who are supposed to be the role players in this organization aren't playing that well, even when they are out of there on the court. The only guy who's actually playing well is Kevin Durant, which is the one thing that you can always count on in the, in the history of the basketball as a sport is that Kevin Durant's going to perform his butt off and, and, and always play to the best of his ability. But like, that's, that's kind of the issue here, right? Is like, you can't, Kevin Durant cannot single-handedly win you a championship, especially when you have all this other turmoil going on within the organization. Like, as good as Kevin Durant plays, and let's say Nick Claxton is amazing, and Seth Curry comes out and starts, you know, going 45% from three, and Joe Harris is like Duncan Robinson 2.0, okay, cool, but your stars, Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, are the best players on your team, and you're paying them as such, and they're not playing basketball. Well, in Ben Simmons' case, he's not playing basketball. Kyrie Irving's case, he, you know, is, is more is more concerned about what he looks like on a political stage than than what he looks like on a basketball court, right, which is, completely backwards so this whole net situation is is just is out of control the only thing i think they can do from here is to literally just get rid of them get rid of Kyrie. get rid of ben simmons well i mean you're locked in with ben simmons because you know they picked up the option for Kyrie, and it's like 35 million dollars a year and i don't know who else would want to pick that up but you might as well try it right because who knows what could happen i mean people saying he might go to the lakers you get him under lebron again he might have a chance to kind of revive what he had there in Cleveland, but the the argument is he wants to be like the number one on the team. And Hey man, you've had a couple chances, right? Namely the Celtics. And that just did not work out at all. So I, I don't know what the situation is here and I don't know what, you know, they're going to be planning to do, but I just, I think that it's inevitable at this point that they're going to just have to get rid of these guys because there's not really that many other options that or, or well there's other options okay and the other option obviously is to keep these players but we've seen what's happened when they keep the players and it's not a positive result and that's what obviously all of us are striving for in, uh, in professional sports is to win games and win championships and the Nets are not anywhere close to that Uh so gonna be interesting to see what happens with that situation let's move into talking about the upside-down standings in the West. So the Jazz, the Utah Jazz, as it stands right now, are the number one seed in the West. Now, you're thinking, okay, well, the Jazz were pretty good, right? Well, yes, they were. Three or four years ago, they had Rudy Gobert and they had Donovan Mitchell. Two of the, you know, Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player in the entire league, and Donovan Mitchell came out of nowhere and is one of the best offensive players in the league. Well, they worked really well together. You had you had Bogdanovich there. You had Jordan Clarkson there, right? Like these guys are, you know, three point specialists. Um, I think they had. um, I'm trying to forget. I'm trying to remember. Um, They had Mike Conley. I mean, Mike Conley's still there, but they, you know, had him. He was still on the team when they when he was there. Whatever. Well it just didn't work out, all right? So, like, you had the whole COVID situation with Rudy Gobert where he, like, coughs all over the mics when he had COVID, and that just, I think, set, set the tone for a bad, a bad you know, bad situation there in Utah. Then near the end of it, near the end of last year, you had Donovan Mitchell coming out and saying, like, they he and Rudy Gobert weren't even talking, and it's like, those are your two best players, they should probably be – conversing, to some extent, you know, language barriers aside, right, and and it just wasn't working, and so what happened was a guy named Danny Ainge, who was the GM for the Celtics all those years when they won championships and then got to, like, three straight Eastern Conference uh, finals in a row, he left, he leaves the Celtics and he goes to the Utah Jazz, and he's, you know, I mean, he's a really, he's like a genius GM, He, he knows how to, you know, get rid of a roster, build a roster. He knows what talent goes where. He, he's he's really good at you know at just at, at constructing a team that is capable of winning a championship. So he goes to Utah and he blows it up, right? So he trades away, uh, he trades away Rudy Gobert. He trades him to the to the Timberwolves. He trades away Donovan Mitchell to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And everybody's, th- and th- and so there's, they're left with nothing. They got Kelly Olenek and Laurie Markkinen, two guys who are pretty much the exact same person and and kind of on the end of their, you know, their respective careers. Although Kelly, Kelly Olenek's pretty old, but uh, Laurie Markkinen's, yeah, I guess, you know, he's still pretty young, but he hasn't done much. I mean, he was on the Bulls for, he was okay on the Bulls, but you know, whatever. So, and then you got like Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson are still there, but like, they're not, the cornerstones of your franchise. So the, the thought is, okay, so Danny Ainge, he's in there now as the GM. He blew up the team, but the point is he's going to get draft picks. He's going to rebuild this team the way it was supposed to be done in the first place into a championship contending team. Well, how do you do that? Well, what you do is you get draft picks and then you don't do well in the regular season so that you can cash in on those draft picks and get high draft picks in order to pick the best college players or international players as it as it will be this coming year, in order that you are able to build up this team with young players, trading for veterans, whatever it may be, right? Well, what happened what ended up happening what ended up happening instead was the the Jazz are good. <laughs> they're coming out here and scoring like 140 points a game. Their defense is amazing, and it's like these random group of guys. Like I said, Laurie Marketing, Kelly Olenek, Mike Conley, they're playing their butts off, right? And it's and it's a first year head coach too, because they got rid of the other guy. I'm blanking on his name, but he he, he did not. He looked anything but a basketball coach. He it was it was a it was a funny situation. Um, right, new coach new players, you know, guys who've never played together before, and and they're just – they're killing it. So it's funny because everybody's kind of saying, like, well, wait, the point of this whole thing was so that they could tank to get good draft picks, and they're just not doing that at all. But I think the point now is – and, again, J- Danny Ainge has this all under control. So he's seeing how this is going. He'll kind of call the shots on whether or not he actually wants the team to basically, you know, purposely start losing. Or if they actually have a solid, you know, a solid core, and if these guys are able to keep playing this way for the rest of the season – maybe they make the playoffs, right? And in that case, hey, like, that's a you know that's more money going to your organization. That's ticket sales for, you know, further past the regular season. So, you know, you're making your team money, and, and the fans are still excited about a, a team that wasn't supposed to do anything, and now they're in the playoffs. So there's a lot of options for this Jazz team. But the funny thing is, like, how good they actually are, despite the fact that everybody thought or assumed that they were just going to be trying to lose this whole, you know, basically this whole season. Uh, so the Jazz are, are a pretty good story here the Blazers are as well and the the Blazers are 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 very I think they're number like third in the west right now I think they're eight and three or eight and four or something like that um they're a very interesting story because really I mean what have we heard about the Blazers over the past you know basically 10 years okay they had a really good team obviously you know when when CJ McCollum and, and Damian Damian Lillard were both there um Blinking on the big guy's name, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge was there for a little while, right? So they were kind of all they were getting it together. They had, they had a really good team, and then pretty much everybody left except Dame, and now Dame has been there for the, his entire career now. But he's been the only good player on that team, right? I mean, you have you know Antfreny Antfreny Cinnamon's is there is you know their second best player. He's not gonna he's not gonna be turning heads really at all. But now they have a young core. They got um, Shadon Sharp, and I'm trying to remember the other guy's name, but. For some reason, it's working out, right? And Dame is just kind of consistently – he really – he really annoys me because I actually have a fantasy basketball team that I have with my high school friends and we we play in fantasy together and so Dame is just kind of now here with you know he keeps keeping getting injured and I'm like dude can you please just play for my fantasy team but anyway um they have a young core and they're doing really well and you know if Dame plays still hey that that could be a pretty cool story for the Blazers here for this season uh and then kind of you know going back to what the the upside down nature of like what I was saying the Warriors have not been playing well at all right I mean they're defending champions you still got the same core there same players everything as last year but they're not playing defense that's the thing that the Warriors are just not playing defense their offense is okay um but they're just kind of they're 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 just kind of you know walking around on defense they're not playing which that's like been their thing especially with all those championships they won it was playing ferocious defense and then obviously you know moving around a lot and 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 making threes on offense so with the Warriors not playing defense again that's one of those things that they'll just pick up right for the rest of the season that it it'll it'll come together they'll make the playoffs they'll make another championship run you know probably so um that's what it looks like right now, but I think you know they'll end up being they'll end up being fine. Switching over to the East now, it's pretty interesting. Okay, you have I mean team like the Bucks are obviously you know we knew they were going to be amazing. They are amazing, and the craziest part is they don't have Chris Middleton. They don't have Pat Connaughton. Like. I mean, basically two starters are on their team, and they're ten and one, and they lost. their – They were nine and nine and no, they lost their first game to the Hawks without Trey Young, but that was just you know that's kind of just a, a classic NBA spot right there where just you know you're not really sure if a team's gonna win and they just do. But yeah, the Bucks are absolutely dominating right now. Um, and, and, but a couple teams that you might think were supposed to be great not looking too good either. The Heat, I think, are almost last in the East, or they're like they're like tenth or eleventh or something like that. Um, <clears throat> They were the number one seed in the East last year in the regular season. They had the best record and it just, you know, they look, they put everything together, looked amazing, but they're hurt. That's the problem with the, with the heat. They're hurt early in the season too, which is obviously kind of not where you want to be. Jimmy Butler has only played, I think he's probably played, I think he's played less than half the season so far. Bam is good, but Bam can only do what Bam does. When you have your guards in order, when you have Kyle Lowry out there, when you have Duncan Robinson making three pointers, that's when Bam succeeds. But when it's just Bam and Bam alone, Bam's not going to do everything for you. He's not going to be able to win a game for you, okay? And so with you know, with kind of everybody hurt and obviously Duncan Robinson's kind of trying to find a, a role in his team and he's not he it's not what it was, you know, back when uh when they made the run in the bubble playing the Lakers in that in that 2020 uh, NBA championship, or NBA finals. The 76ers are the team that I'm going to end on here they're just lazy. They're just, I mean, if anybody listens to the Ryan Versilla podcast, I listened to the recent episode and they, he went off on the Sixers. I'm going to kind of, you know, not, not do that as much, but it's, it's just, it looks bad. It look, I mean, James Harden is, is not like, he, he he never really has been the guy who just tries on the defense and, and, and you know, cause he's so talented, but he just, I, he just gets complacent. I swear. Like he's out there and he knows how good he is. And he's just like, that'll be fine right? He's not like, I need to get better. He's just like, I'll do what I do and I'll be really good. But it's like, at some point, dude, like you got to put a little bit more work in, especially in the defensive end, right? And Joel Embiid, he's played less than half the games this season and he's what he's he's what makes that team go. And when you don't have him, you know, good luck. So the Sixers are just, it's it's tough. Tyreek's Maxi, okay? He's the only guy on the team who actually seems like he gives a crap and, and he's, he's a really good player, but it's like, he's not the guy who's gonna be able to win you games, you know, by himself. So, I think they'll get better just because they're going to start passing the ball a little bit more. They're going to start trying on defense a little bit more, but it's just it's one of those things with Doc Rick, Doc Rivers who's their coach, which is like this is kind of just always what happens to his teams. Like they they have all the star power, they have all the talent, and it's almost like he tells his team like, all right, you guys know you're better than them, so go out and beat them. Like that's not what you need to be doing as a professional coach. Like you need to, you need to actually coach the players, run some play, you know, it's just, I mean, obviously I don't know what goes on in their huddles, but that just, it just seems like kind of, you know, with all those years with the Clippers and you have Blake Griffin and Chris Ball and all these, you know, great players. And, and now same with the Celtics. It just looks, it just looks kind of, you know, kind of just disorganized. So, uh, so there's your NBA quarter of the season, regular season, uh, you know, kind of, kind of review, preview, what we're doing, what we're seeing uh, so far. Now we're going to move on to the NHL. We never did an NHL preview, um, so how about a quarterly review of what's happened so far in this sport? The defending champs, the uh, Colorado Avalanche, they haven't looked super dominant, uh, so we'll kind of talk about their reasons for that. Additionally, the uh, the Knights, the Golden Knights, and the Bruins have been absolutely cruising to start the season, um, but we're kind of going to talk about what's their outlook moving forward, and then obviously, you know, kind of some star updates. we got Connor McDavid, we got Jack Eichel, um, you know, kind of going to end off with that. So let's go back to talk about the Avalanche who I think are 6 and 4 right now. They're like in fourth in their division. But obviously right, it's the beginning of the hockey season. There's a lot of changes in the offseason every year pretty much. And and I think the Colorado Avalanche are feeling that to some extent. Okay? So there's a guy named Nazem Kadri who was they're kind of they're just their glue guy last year. He was scrappy. He was obviously very talented. I mean, he scored a lot of goals and assisted a lot of goals. Uh, but, but, you know, he, he really got the team going. He was just a, he was, you know, he was a fire starter and a guy that you just want to have on your team, kind of like a Draymond Green type without the you know personal fouls and the technical fouls and all that stuff. Uh, but a guy that you need to have on your team who has a personality that's just a never give up and then just invigorate every other player on the team. And he got traded in the offseason. So that, I think, has been their biggest loss. And the reason why they're they're kind of just trying to figure it out to start the season here. Like, you got to get used to kind of what you have right now. you got to, you know, kind of figure out how you're going to work it now without one of your best players from last year, who obviously, you know, you won the Stanley Cup with. But the Avalanche are going to be fine. I still think, and I was listening, I was kind of reading some articles, and everybody's pretty much saying, like, this team is still probably going to make the make the Stanley Cup again. They might even actually win the championship again. So, I think the Avalanche are going to be fine for where they're at right now, but the teams that do look good, the Golden Knights, I think they started like I think they won ten in a row, uh, and I think they, no, I think eleven in a row because I think they, they just beat the uh, they beat with the Buffalo Sabers last night, and so they're like thirteen and two or thirteen and one or something like that, and they're absolutely blazing right now, which is kind of fun to see, especially because you know back when they were you know I think well I guess probably six or seven years ago now, when they first entered the NHL and their first inaugural season, they went to the Stanley Cup final, which was the craziest thing. Uh, and then after that, they kind of fell off a little bit, right? I think they – they I don't even know if they made the playoffs. No, they made the playoffs last year, but they lost pretty early on. Uh, and then this year, they're looking good. And the reason for that is a guy named Jack Eichel, who I guess I was going to talk about him later, but I'll talk about him now, especially because they just played the Buffalo Sabres. So Jack Eichel was the number one draft pick of many years ago, probably four or five years ago at this point. He was drafted to the Buffalo Sabers. Now he played amazingly for the first two years, I think, and then he got hurt and he hurt his back. Which, if you're, well, really any professional athlete, but especially hockey, with all the hits you're taking and the skating and the, you know, the flexibility that you have to have in order to to be able to score the puck and everything like that. It was a really bad backer injury, something he had to get surgery for, and people were like, Oh, he's never gonna be the same again. And so Buffalo, the Sabres, are sitting here with this guy who is, you know, a a budding star in the NHL, and they're like, Well, what do we do with him? Because we don't know if he's actually gonna be good enough. And, you know, they're kind of trying to rebuild, and so they were like, All right, well, I guess we'll just give him up. So they trade him to the Golden Knights, and this guy has been absolutely dominant to start the season. I mean, he has been every bit of what they saw in the first couple years that he was there. But they weren't sure. Right. And you never can be like some guys just, you know, they get injured and they're never the same again. It's very unfortunate. And me and actually me and Hayden actually did a, a topic probably like a year ago to the date almost uh, on Jack Eichel and kind of his situation, what was happening. And I literally remember that topic and us talking about it. And we said, you know, we're hoping that this guy is able to just come back and play hockey, not even just like you know, far, far removed from, you know, being the best player in the league and scoring a bunch of goals and, you know, leading his team to victories and stuff like that. We were just hoping he'd be able to play again. And here he is, you know, playing for a rival team who is absolutely, you know, thratching other teams right now. And he's looking great. And and so it's just a great story to see Jack Eichel playing so well and playing for a team that's doing really well. Uh, so, so, you know, so hats off to him. And, and the funny ironic part about this is that last night i um, recording this on Friday. So Thursday night, the, the golden Knights played the Sabres in Buffalo and Jack Eichel got booed as he went onto the, onto the ice. And it was, you know, good hockey rivalry type of thing. And he drops a hat trick on him. So he scores three goals in this game against his former team who traded him away and everything. Just a, just a classic, like, you know, revenge spot for a player who, you know, obviously is having a great, you know, reinvigoration to his career, which is good because we thought that we might not ever see him again. So, you know, hats off to him. And and obviously the the Golden Knights are looking really great as well. The Boston Bruins are also looking amazing. And this is funny because it's kind of their last – well, one of their last kind of shots with this core that's been together forever. You have David Krejci, you have uh, Patrice Bergeron, like these guys who have been here for, you know, 10 years now. They, I think they won the Stanley Cup in 20, I want to say 2012 or something like that. They went to two other Stanley Cups and lost both of those. And so they're kind of on their last legs here, but they still have the core, right? The core that has been to three Stanley Cup finals has done it before. And they're looking amazing this year. They were good last year. They just lost in the playoffs too early. But we're really hoping to see kind of what the Bruins are able to do, and, and obviously with their kind of last last ditch effort. They actually have a new uh, coach too. So and he's kind of he's been doing really well in terms of getting guys where they're supposed to be in the right places and winning these games. When previously it looks like you know and especially in last season like they were holding on to leads and they just would kind of just give up a bunch of goals, right? And they would just lose these games. And it's like, dude, it was just it was just a little bit you know infuriating to just kind of watch their season just unfold in you know, the second and third periods, but this year is the going is quite the opposite and they're doing really well. So hopefully we maybe see them, uh, you know, deeper in the playoffs as we go along here. Uh, and then Connor McDavid, we have to talk about Connor McDavid. He is the best player in the NHL right now. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen if you follow ESPN on Instagram, if you watch SportsCenter, Center, anything to do with anything sports related, hockey related, you've seen the stats on Connor McDavid. He had 13 goals in 13 games. He has 30 points after I think 14 or 15 games. So he's like on pace to have like basically two points per game, which is ridiculous. Um, it's just, and it's just like watching this guy like like a guy like Ovechkin or a guy like Sidney Crosby, like they're, they're very technically sound and, and they're also getting older. So watching them now isn't as you know crazy as it was when they were younger, but they're, they're technicians. And so they're very, they're skilled with the puck and their stick handling is amazing. Connor McDavid is like, <clears throat> he's like an angel on the ice. Like he, he moves faster than anyone. And it's just watching this guy play hockey is, is just like you, you literally watch the game and you're like, this guy is better than everybody that he's playing against. So he, he, he 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 just he runs by people like he he's just fat. It's like it's like Tyreek Hill on a go route to the end zone. Like he's going to run past you, right? Uh, and well, skate in this case, but but still, he, he's amazing and his his. his it, like, the, what I was talking about with Ovechkin and Sidney and, and, and Crosby, like, the, the stick handling, the puck handling, everything that you're able to do skill-wise, he has all that. Combine that with the speed to get past everybody no matter what scenario you're in, and and, and you have a great player, and and he's showing it. So uh, hopefully, hopefully the Oilers can just pull it together. Like, they just keep losing so early on in the playoffs, and you're like, Jews, this guy who is the best, best player in the league and, and deserves so much – you know, it's just, it's just as tough to kind of see them not be able to do it, uh, you know, really any, any point in the, uh, you know, in the year so far. And again, you know, even, even if we, right, we go to the playoffs and, you know, they're going to have to face off against the Avalanche again. And, and that didn't go well for them last year. I think they got swept last year. So, um, hopefully the, the, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of, I just want, I just want to see Connor McDavid succeed and like get a rank because at that point it's like, he's, he's probably already going to be in the hall of fame. Like we got to get him a championship, but, uh, but Maybe we might not, which is which is kind of the unfortunate part here. So we're going to move into college basketball now. I know we're already an hour over, but you know what? That's that's what you get here on the First Time Running Podcast, especially when it comes to Matt's solo episodes. We're going to get into college basketball really, really quick. So obviously, right, so the college basketball season started uh, this past Monday, which feels crazy because it literally feels like the season just ended. But, hey, it's that time of year again. It's great. College basketball started uh, this week, like I said. Um, So we're going to just – I mean, I'm literally just going to rattle off. So who are the contenders? Who are the pretenders? And have we finally begun to see Gonzaga conference realignment talk? This has been kind of a bigger story over the past week, obviously, uh, outside of just the game starting themselves. Gonzaga might be moving to the Big 12. Thank you. God they need to like they need to get in a good conference because they need to lose <laughs> they need to lose early in the season they need to lose regular season games they need to lose conference games to just get some sort of humbling like nature of this and and just rebalance the sport because the problem is they get the number one overall seed every year and they lose in the sweet 16 and it's like we have to give the number one seed to the teams that are deserving of it that we know will go far and not get, you know, crazily upset. But the problem is they get the number one seed every year and they do get upset, right? They made the final – okay, they made the championship game against Baylor you know, two years ago, but they lost the game by, like, 30 points, right? So it's like, okay, well, you did the job that you were supposed to do. You won your games, all right, fine. But then you lose by that much, but they need some competition. They need to face – because the Big 12 is arguably – Probably the best conference in, in college basketball. Um, I'll use that to kind of transition into into a little bit of talk about obviously kind of the top where we know Kansas, we know Baylor. You know they're they're the top of the Big Twelve. They have been for years, but they also are the two teams that won the last <clears throat> the last two uh, March Madness championships. They won the college basketball championship. Baylor won twenty twenty one and Kansas obviously won this past year twenty twenty two. So and they're back. They're I think they're both number well they're actually <laughs> I think they're both tied for number five uh, in the AP pool to start the season we have UNC who was an eight seed in the tournament last year and they only got in because they won the ACC tournament in you know the previous well not the previous year but this year that year they won the ACC tournament they got in the, as a number eight seed they beat Baylor who was the one seed in this, in this in the round of 32 they go on they beat Duke in the final four they go to the championship game and they're up by like 20 points in the championship game and then obviously Kansas when comes back and wins that game but the the crazy part about this, and this is kind of the big story for college basketball, if you're just kind of a <clears throat> don't care about college basketball till March Madness fan, UNC lost one player, one player from the starting lineup. Of, well, actually, not, I do not even think it was the starting lineup. I think it was, like, overall. They lost one player, um, and it was that guy, Brady Manick, who was the, you know, amazing three-pointer. Now, he's a, he's a really big piece of their team, but, like, you still have Armando Bacot. You still have um, – the the two guards I'm I'm blanking on their names now but everyone's coming back really from this you know from this amazing dominant team last year that made a crazy run and so they're number one preseason number one which is it's so crazy to see them back here so soon because Roy Williams who was their legendary coach he retired just two years ago and they that team that that well. Yeah, I mean, just the program in general was kind of just going down the drain. You're like, dude, this is so sad to see like a such a story program like UNC, you know, not not be able to kind of hold up anymore. Especially in this again, the NIL stuff coming back here, going full circle, uh, you know, is is still a thing in college basketball as well, and, but look what we have here. You know, the, the, the next guy comes in, he's the coach and I, I forget his name too, but uh, he comes in, they brings him to the championship in his first season. So it's like insane how well this team is doing, despite, you know, kind of the regime change that they, that they've uh, faced, you know, recently here. So, that's uh that's going to be UNC obviously kind of they're the number 1 team. Gonzaga is the number 2 team. Drew Timmy is still playing college basketball. It's ridiculous to think how long this guy has been playing college basketball for, but hey, he's still here. Uh they're number 2 overall and again, like because they're in the West Coast Conference, they're going to be playing like Pacific and Santa Clara as part of their regular season, you know, conference schedule and it's like Hey, guess what? They're going to win all those games. Okay. So we we should probably just do something about it. We should probably get some more people in here, get some, you know, movement around the conferences. Hopefully that'll happen, you know, pretty soon, but you never really know. So Gonzaga is obviously really good this year again. Houston. Houston. I love this story with Houston. Ralph Sampson is their head coach. He's an amazing, well, he was an amazing basketball player himself, and now he's amazing as a coach. We saw them get to the Final Four in 2021, and then. In 2022, this past March Madness, they were in the Elite Eight against Villanova <clears throat> and lost that game to Villanova. Villanova goes on to the Final Four. So they, they easily could have had two Final Four appearances in, in each of the last two years. And that's crazy, right? I mean, you never thought Houston would be this good as basketball, but they just keep, they play so hard. They rebound hard. They're big, and they're tough, and they're physical. And that's a style of basketball that people don't really play this at, at this point anymore, right? Everybody's focused on, oh, well, let's copy the Warriors. Let's 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 shoot the threes. Let's do all this stuff. no. Let's get get back to hard nosed basketball. You're rebounding the ball. You're, you know, I mean, obviously they have, you know, um, Marcus Sasser. I think is is the is the guy's name. He's a he's a sharpshooter. He does everything for that team, and and he's you know kind of their their main scorer. But like you need guys down low to play defense and rebound the ball, and they have that. And I love the fact that this Houston team out of the AAC, right, this conference you never really hear about, they're number three in the country. They're you know. They're going to blow out everybody on their schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if they finish the season undefeated, number one overall seed. And But the thing is, they're different from Gonzaga because they are actually a legit good, good basketball team. <coughs> if they get a number one seed, they're going to cash in on it. They're going to make it worth it, right? So super happy to see Houston uh, do so well, or, well, be projected to do so well, but they will actually do so well here in the regular season. And then obviously you have your Duke and Kentucky I mean, this is just classic, right? The, the two teams that always get the best recruiting classes. Duke had the best recruiting class in the entire nation, you know, for this this season's recruiting class. <clears throat> Kentucky was number two. They always – John Calipari is, is, the, is the Kentucky head coach. He always pulls together five stars. They got everything there. I mean, obviously, Duke is kind of changing regimes now. Um, coach K is gone. But they still got the best recruiting class. So something's still going well at Duke, right? And that'll be really cool to see kind of the Duke and UNC – Rivalry, which we, which we saw last year, but I mean, basically, previous to last year, Duke was dominant against really all the AAC, or ACC, but specifically that rivalry with Carolina hasn't really been the same um, over the past few years, but now it's back, right? I mean, they're, you know, number one and number five, respectively, in the country, so looking really exciting for Duke this year, and obviously, Kentucky as well. <clears throat> I think they're the favorite, or no, Ken Palm, which is, a you know, a, a really famous college basketball statistics site and whatever they have Kentucky as the number one team in the country which is which is pretty crazy so um I don't know I don't know who's gonna win it's gonna be a really good college basketball season I'm super excited to just kind of get into it a little bit more on Saturdays when college football ends and you know you got college basketball on um you know watching the big game seeing who does well and just it's always crazy you know the best team or the you know number one team always loses like twice in a week or whatever i um, super excited to watch this college basketball season Well, all right, that will do it for this episode of the First Down Rundown Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, it was a lot of stuff, a lot of topics, a lot of sports, but we got a lot of good info, right? So I hope you learned something from this episode or just enjoyed kind of hearing me talk as I sit here in my room for over an hour by myself just talking to myself. I love it. No, that's not what it is. I'm talking to you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm not going to do like – Hayden talks for like eight minutes at the end of every show and I'm like, dude, can we just wrap this up because – People want to go about their day and not listen to hear you talk anymore. Uh, so I will actually end it off here. We will be doing another episode, obviously, after the football, uh, you know, football weekend, this weekend. Should be doing it on Monday. Might be Tuesday, but either way, looking forward to hearing you guys. Well, you guys hearing us again and us talking to you again uh, short here at the beginning of next week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, like, follow, and subscribe, please. Um, Trying to go to the listener base, and, and that would be very much appreciated. So, uh, with that being said, look to see you back here on Tuesday. And Hayden will be back for this one, too. So, look to see you back here on Monday or Tuesday.